Morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, and we're continuing with the themes of the songs of Advent. Uh, and the song that we've looked at is the song of Zechariah. And we've looked at the song of Mary. Last week, we looked at the song of Simeon. And this week, we are looking at the song of Moses and the Lamb. And we see in this passage a great hope and a great longing that I want us to look at and think about today. Songs are very important in our lives. Uh, we love songs. We love music. Uh, last night, we had the opportunity to rejoice and enjoy uh, a wonderful time of celebration with Logan and Jordan uh, being married. And uh, we enjoyed time together with them and time together with one another, so many of us did. And I was sitting and I was listening to the music, you know, and some of it was, uh, was Christian music, some of it was not Christian music. But I came to a conclusion, as I said, and I continued to listen to the playlist. Uh, my own playlist is quite varied, I want you to know. But I came to the realization that evidently there's no longer songs that are being written in our age, but you have to reach back to the 80s to get something that you can play at a reception. I wasn't upset because I recognized most of them, okay? And so that's always good. And, uh, you know, Gina and I were having some conversations about them as we were going on, you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, anytime Stevie Nicks comes on, you know, Landslide, you know, we, I, I'd recognize that. And several other tunes that were going on. It was wonderful, you know. I like those old tunes. I like the old songs. We had our children come and didn't they do a wonderful job? They came up here and they've been learning. You'll notice the things that they sing are scripture, okay? The reason for that, when you sing scripture, you remember scripture, okay? I mean, you just do. Uh, I, I went to schools where I sang scripture and I still remember those. I'm not going to sing them for you. You're welcome. But we recall and we remember things and songs have meaning and depth that help us to recall and to remember and to know and to grow. I remember one of the songs that was so encouraging to me growing up. Started off we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Come on, y'all know the tune, right? Songs. 
get inside of us and help us to remember. And they urge us to know and to think. Like praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. See, I forgot it because I didn't have the tune in my head and I'm not singing it. But what does it encourage us to praise God? Here's what we need to understand. There's going to be singing in heaven. There's already singing in heaven. We see it going on right here. We see it throughout Scripture. We hear songs being sung. I love music. I love that there's going to be singing. Oh, most as, I, as much as I love that there's going to be eaten. Okay? But it will be there. song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is being sung by a particular people for a particular purpose to a particular person. And I want us to consider that today and think about that. Because Advent is for adoring Jesus. That's been said more than once today in the songs that we've sung. Advent is for adoring Jesus. He's our deliverer. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our life. Uh, Jesus Christ is our refuge, and he is our strength. He is our advocate, and he is our savior. According to Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed a longing in all of mankind's soul for him. We fill it up with all kinds of things that do not last. But Jesus, he endures forever. His word endures forever. The gospel endures forever. Advent is for adoring Jesus and Although he's put the longing for himself in us, is revealed in Scripture that, that people, many, will reject the gospel and in doing so will reject all hope of redemption because there's only one means of redemption, and that is Jesus Christ. Redemption from our sin, redeeming us from sinfulness and death. Not only does Scripture tell us this, but sadly, we experience this truth in our lives today as millions reject the gospel. Some of them close to us. However undeterred from that, we continue to hope and to pray and proclaim the glorious gospel to them and to the whole world. Why do we do that? Because Advent 
is for adoring Jesus. And we do all these things in adoration of Him. As we look at this text, we're going to look also back at Exodus 15, so you can be ready for that. We're going to go back to the song of Moses and look and see why they're bringing that up. It's a song that's going to be sung, evidently, in heaven. But I want us to consider the song of Moses and think about that. I want us to understand that Moses spoke of Jesus in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He spoke concerning Jesus uh, when he said in chapter 18 verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name. I myself will acquire it. Of him. Moses is speaking of Jesus. We know that these words are spoken of in the New Testament as referring to Jesus Christ, the one who was come, the one they were waiting on, the one they were longing for. He's always been adored. He's been adored from past before his coming. And he's adored now, after his coming, and while we wait for him to come. David had a longing for him. Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, it was prophesied, the Lord spoke to David, and he said, you know what? Your throne will never be without an heir. Isaiah spoke of the root of Jesse being raised up, he will be forever adored by those who are his own. I want us to consider today the song of Moses. I want us to consider today the song of the Lamb. I want us to ask three questions about these two songs. Who is singing? Why are they singing? And to whom are they singing? And lastly, I want us to consider our life between these two songs. How now shall we live? In light of the song of Moses and in light of the song of the Lamb, how shall we live? How shall we walk? And so let's consider that now. First of all, the song of Moses. It says there uh, that in verse 3 of Revelation 15, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So we see the song of Moses, and we see the song of the Lamb. I, I want to go to Exodus chapter 
15, and I want to read the Song of Moses. It's a little bit long. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it other than answer those three questions. I want us to look at the historicity of this and to know when it happened. It occurred right after Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. Yeah, you know, when I was early in my theological education, I was taking what they called correspondence courses, okay? Now, some of you guys with gray hair, no hair, know what I'm talking about. They're online courses now, but they were correspondence courses because you got them in the mail and you sent all your stuff back in the mail. And I read out of a book, and that book was a Baptist book, published sometime in the late 60s, something like that. And it referred to the Red Sea as the Sea of Reeds, and that's okay, the Hebrew supports that. And what they said is that they crossed over in very shallow water, and they were easily able to go over, but that's not what the Word of God says. And I was looking at it, scratching my head, and I'm not a very smart guy anyway, but I knew what the Word said, and then I knew what the book said, and I said, this book is false. It said that they passed through the Sea of Reeds. It was a little bit of water, okay? I mean, we're talking like six wading water, you know? And so they waded across. That's not what it says. It says they crossed on dry land. I believe the Word of God even back then, you know? And so I, I, I looked at it, and I looked at it. And what they were trying to do was kind of remove the miraculous, it seemed like. It was a Baptist book, like I said, okay? Because this was back in the day when Baptists were going liberal. And, and it, was, it, was, it was very, very disturbing to me. And do you know, they were trying to remove the miraculous, but they brought in the miraculous. And you know what that was? That all of Pharaoh's army drowned in six inches of water. according to their understanding. But that's not what it was. This is a people whose ancestors had been in captivity for over 400 years. And they themselves had felt the whips on their backs. They had felt the weight of oppression. They had felt the sorrow of loss. And God said, I'm setting you free from all that. And they got over on the other side. And they were kind of like, what's going to happen here? They're coming across now. No water just peeled back over them and they all drowned. And I don't think that Moses just, this song just popped into his head. I think he thought about it a little bit. And I think, I don't think he wrote it in five minutes on the shores, uh, still watching chariot wheels float by. It appears that there was some span of time that took place before they left there and set off on their journey, at least a few days. And they sang. Because that's what you do when you're happy, right? They sang. They began to sing this song. You do it when you're happy. I do it in the mornings when I get up. 
I don't know why. I'm just happy. I'm a morning person. Who knows what I might sing? I do know this is that as I'm going through the house and I start singing some tune, Gina will go, where did that come from? Because you never know what I might be saying. I'm just happy. These people were rejoicing because they had been delivered and it was final. Pharaoh had no army to pursue them with now. There was no way they were going back to Egypt except that there were a few sinful folks that wanted to go back to Egypt and they got taught a lesson later on. Let me read. I said I wasn't going to comment. I don't always say what I mean. I do. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt in him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. Uh, The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O glorious, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall, uh, shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone to your people. O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. They knew it then. He will reign forever and ever. Who's singing? It's Moses and the people of God, it says. Right there in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song. They're singing. 
They're rejoicing. They're singing. They're happy. They're safe. They have a future. They didn't die in slavery like their forefathers. But instead, they have found their feet on solid ground with a promise from God that He will give them this promised land. They're singing, people of God. Why are they singing? Well, they've been delivered. They've been delivered from that bondage that we spoke of. They've been delivered from the heavy hand of Pharaoh. They've been set free. To whom are they singing? They're singing to the Lord. The one who is worthy of their praise. They're singing to this God who is their strength and their salvation. They're singing to God who there's no other like him. They're singing to him because he's majestic in holiness and does glorious deeds. They're singing to him because he is worthy of praise. These were some happy people. And we know that they weren't happy long. And we know that the ones who stood on the shores of the Red Sea would never step foot on the shores across the Jordan. Except for two of them, Joshua and Caleb. None of these people would see that promised land. But that did not keep God from keeping his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is a God who is always faithful. Generation after generation after generation. They were rejoicing in this God who loved them. Let me say a few things about the song of the Lamb. A couple of things that... Uh, are pointed out here in Revelation. I think it's important to note Revelation. You don't have to know all of Revelation to understand what's going on here. One of the things about Revelation, however, I believe, is that it's repetitive. It runs for a while, and then it rewinds, and it runs for a while, and then it rewinds, and it runs. You ever watch those movies? starts off with this scene, and it's, climactic scene and you don't see the end and then it rolls back and it gives this little title and it says three years earlier and it's kind of like okay I gotta watch you're about to tell me the whole thing I could save two hours you know but no uh, you want to roll it back three years well that's kind of what's going on in Revelation and you see destruction and you see this continual uh Continual repetitive phrase, and they would not repent. 
and they did not repent. Here we see, I believe the scene is that the ransomed of God are with him. And what's about to be poured out is what Peter talked about. And all this stuff will be destroyed by fire. And that's about what's going to happen from this place on. And so when we read, we read, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. So this is all about the wrath of God in the sense. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. By the way, that is introduced in chapter 4 of Revelation. And the point of the sea of glass is that it's in the presence of the throne of God. So we're seeing the throne of God here. And it says that it's mingled with fire, which is kind of strange, but that's representing what's going on on the earth, fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Sounds like they're getting ready to strike up a tune, doesn't it? By the way, those who had conquered the beast, its image, its number, the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass, those are the redeemed of God. All of them. There are some who are redeemed of God, and then there are some who are not. But the redeemed of God are standing before him. Evidently, we're going to get instruments too, okay? They've got harps. They'll go, man, I don't care for harps. Fleetwood Mac use harps? I don't think so. This is the redeemed. Folks, look, this is what's going on here. I just want you to know here's what's happening. This is a scene of you and me together before the throne of God tuning up to sing, okay? Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's who we are. There's not going to be any prone to wander here, okay? Tune my heart to sing thy praise. That's what's happening. It's the song of the Lamb. Earlier in chapter 5, there's a chorus that breaks out too that's also the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. This is the last stanza. Their hearts are being tuned up, it says. It says, so who is singing? Those who had conquered. I know you have ideas of these are people that were left after the rapture. Well, if any of you know, I don't think that there's a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe this has taken place as Christ has come back and now all the wrath of, uh, of God is going to be poured out on those who would not believe and who would not repent. Rick, I'm not feeling very Christmassy. I've had to say that a couple of times throughout this series, hadn't I? But you should be. Because the one who was born is the one who died and the one who rose and the one who is coming and the one who is on the throne who we're singing to. Who's singing? It's you and me. 
What are they singing about? There's a lot of songs that have no meaning whatsoever, but this one has meaning. What are they singing about? They've been delivered. They've conquered. Oh, not all by themselves. They've conquered by the blood of the Lamb. They've conquered by the one who died for them. And so we sing a song. Listen to the words. They've been delivered, and so they're singing about the one who delivers. Moses was singing about the one who delivered. Great and amazing are your deeds. Song of Moses said that, O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nation. Justice was served in Pharaoh's army drowning, and the people of God delivered. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. All nations will come to you and worship. Do you know why we worship? Because he has delivered us and set us free from the bonds of sin and shame. By the blood of the cross poured out. That's why. He is the Redeemer. He sets us free. We sing because we've been set free. The Bible tells us that we were slaves to sin. Do you know what that means? That sin was our master. But because of the cross... And because of God's working, and because of God revealing himself and the gospel and his word, we have seen that and we have heard that and we believed. And that turned our hearts from sin and self and turned our hearts to Christ and his righteousness. And we're on full pursuit of knowing him more and adoring him more. Who are they singing to? Well, it says it's the song of the Lamb. They're singing to the Lamb. They're singing to Jesus. It's going to be a good time, right? I don't know if we're going to sing first or eat first. I don't know. We'll find out, okay? We usually sing and then take the Lord's Supper, so I think that's probably going to be how it is. What a day that will be, right? What a day it will be when we're there with him. Some won't be, though. Remember, this is the wrath of God being poured out. 
Some people complain that well, God's a, he's just this vengeful God. I can't believe in a God who thinks this way or does these things. He's just vengeful. Yes, he is. Vengeance is mine, he says. I will repay. No one else can act in that righteously. Having a conversation the other day, I didn't get permission to say, tell who it is, so I'm not going to. We'd both listened to Al Moeller, and he'd been talking about some of the, of course, he'd been talking about quite a bit on the Defense of Marriage Act, which is, by the way, not a defense of marriage. And he said, well, it's a good thing I'm not God. I'd just kill all of them. I said, me too. That's why he doesn't let us take vengeance. He's God of mercy. You can't tell me that he is not a God of mercy who allows the sinfulness to take place that takes place today. You can't, can't tell me he's not a God of mercy. All through Revelation, he's wanting repent, repent, repent. He's God of mercy. Just so you know, he, he loves you. Desperately, he loves you. And he calls for our repentance. Song of the Lamb. And whom are they singing? They're singing to the Lamb who was slain. Worthy are you, he says. And uh, they sing in, in verse 5 or chapter 5. Why? He's the Lamb who was slain. There's no another in all the world or in all of heaven that is worthy. Can I take a moment now? Thinking about the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. What's our life to be like between these songs? How should we live? I got three W's. Yeah, I'm down to the last three points in this sermon. Three W's. Kicking it old school right now, okay. Wake. Walk. Worship. That's our life between these songs. These songs, by the way, inspire these three actions of our life right now. The song of Moses who sings of a deliverer who is just and good and righteous, who's worthy of praise. The song that is yet to come. We, we know the words to a song in heaven, by the way. Great and mighty are you. First thing is wake. Look with me at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. 
wake. Not woke, wake. Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 11. He's saying that we, we should love one another, love our neighbor. Uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor at the bare minimum. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Him coming is nearer. His advent is closer today than it was yesterday. That, that's encouraging me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm a day nearer. It's going to be a wonderful time, but I'm glad I'm a day. Wake. Verse 12 helps us to know what that means. So let us then cast off the work of darkness. Wake. So often as Christians, we have a particular arrogance about ourselves. It's real easy from our position and us knowing that we're redeemed. It's real easy for us to look at everybody else's sin and not our own. Thankfully, he didn't send us to call out everyone's sin until ours is right. We know what the Word of God says. We're to wake to this and know... Cast off the works of the darkness. In other words, don't be like the world. Don't be like the world. Don't follow after the things of the world. Awaken. In another place, he said, there's been enough time for this nonsense. Wake. Cast off the sinfulness. Man, that's what our time between... The songs, one of the ways we spend our time between the songs is putting sin to death in our lives. You say, well, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, he did. In all of your sins, if you have trusted in him, this is good news, by the way. Are you all paying attention? All of your sins, past, present, and future, if you have trusted in Christ and repented of your sin, all of them are forgiven. All of them. Even the ones you hadn't committed yet. Forgiven. You say, well, that kind of frees it up. No, Paul dealt with that. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No, of course not. Wake. Wake up.
We know there's sin still in us. I know there's sin still in me. Having a conversation this morning even, speaking of the calluses that come over 20 years of ministry. Day by day, you just have to whittle them off. I was going to say just like on your foot, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. You just got to shave them off, those calluses. You know, you do that by the word of God. You wake up to your own sin. You wake up to your own need. You share the gospel with yourself every day. Hey, you sinner, Christ died for you. You go and you love people. You care for them. And all that is the healing balm. I speak of myself, but I look out at you and there's hurt in your heart out there somewhere also that needs to be soothed. The calluses of sin that need to be softened, that need to be removed. And although you're redeemed, some of you, there's still the hardness that develops that must go away. Wake to your sin and your need for a Savior. Next, walk. Wake, then walk. Verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. And here's more support for what I just said. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it great that we can do that? <laughs> Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We're to walk. We're to walk in a way that is proper. It's upright. It's humility. It's worthy. That's what it's speaking of. A way in which you are clearly changed and a way in which you are clearly being changed. I've never come up with a better illustration, so I'm going to show you. Now, y'all can watch. I, I walk, I'm going to walk, and I walk like this. And I usually walk with my head down, and I usually walk with my shoulders slumped and all that stuff. And you know what that's produced in 57 years? Wait, I ain't that old yet. 56 years, bad posture, a sore neck, you know, slumped shoulders, all this good stuff. You know, back in the day, I tried to take care of myself and everything. And, you know, I did some running. And every once in a while, there'd be people walking in those little runs that I would do. And let me tell you something. They meant some business, okay? You didn't see them walking on a 5K like this, okay? No, I, no I, you saw them. Man, they had that... Man, they were walking. They were going after it. They were worthy walking, okay? Uh, they were getting after it. They, they, they looked like 
They were trying to win the race. They looked like they were serious about the commitment that they had made to finish that race. They had put in the time. They had put in the effort. They had done all these things, and now what are they doing? They're going after it. They got some worthy walking going on. Our time between the songs, worthy walking. How you do that? Here's the instructions right here. It's right here. You're holding it in your lap. It's sitting in the pew pocket. It's on your device. Walk worthy. What's the standard? Jesus. He's the standard. He calls us to walk. And then lastly, worship. Last one. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Worship. What do we do? We're to worship. And while we're here today, we're worshiping here. And people will say, well, you know what? I can, I can worship all by myself. Well, you can, but it's not near as much fun. And it also is not prescribed. What's prescribed is that we gather as the people of God, as the body of Christ, and that we worship together. And then we encourage one another. And we sing songs together. And we smile while we're doing it. Do you know your mere presence is encouraging? Just that you're here. Just that you love the people of God enough to be present. We're to worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not just about singing. It's also about the Word of God. It's about praying. It's about loving one another. It's about weeping with one another. It's about laughing with one another. Rejoicing with one another. One of the tragedies in this world is that there's so much of this joy to be had together. I mean, we actually enjoy one another, okay? I can tell, all right? Y'all like each other. You love each other. 
I see it all the time in this body of Christ. I see the love, I see the affection, I see the caring, I see the concern, I see the ministry to one another. Y'all enjoy that, right? No? Yes? No? Yeah? The sad truth is, is that there are so many people who miss it simply because they say, this is foolishness. I didn't get further into Revelation 15. But it's about the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is not foolishness. It's real. And it's true. And the word of God verifies it. And he says to you who reject him and push him away, come. I will save you. Come. I will redeem you. He loves you. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love, your mercy. Father, we thank you, Lord, for putting in us songs, teaching us songs, letting our hearts be happy with songs. And we thank you, Lord, for the content of songs that remind us and tell us great and mighty are you. And Father, I pray, Lord, that our hearts, Lord, would be in tune with you being great and mighty and not ourselves. And Father, that we, Lord, would be submissive to your will and that we would awaken to our own sin that we would walk in a way that's worthy of you. And Lord, that we would spend our days on this earth between the songs, worshiping and adoring Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.